On today's show, uh, it's a real pleasure to have Wayne Diesel. Wayne's predominantly a physiotherapist by trade who trained in South Africa. He completed his honours degree in physiotherapy in 1986 and has since gone on to do a sports science bachelor's and also a PhD in exercise physiology at the University of Cape Town. His physiotherapy career has spanned three continents. He's worked in every sport that South Africa had to offer, including working with the Springbok rugby team. Before the changes in South Africa meant that he was able to eventually move abroad and work in the UK, where he became the head of medical services at Gloucester Rugby Club. From there, as we'll hear in this episode, Wayne moved into football, where he spent over 11 years eventually working as the head of medical services at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club in the Premier League. From there, he became the sports performance director at the Miami Dolphins in the NFL and finished off his seven-year experience in the US as director of player care in the NBA at the San Antonio Spurs. On today's podcast with Wayne, we discuss sports physiotherapy, drawing on his vast experience around where the profession has come from and where it is now. And we also talk about some of the challenges of working as a sports physiotherapist in elite sport and some real wisdom from Wayne around how you can go about preparing yourself in the best way to make a success of your sports physiotherapy career. If anything, it's just great to listen to Wayne and to benefit from his wisdom and experience. And I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. This episode has been sponsored by Vol Performance, makers of Forstex, the world's fastest, easiest and most powerful dual force plate system. Forstex can help you to analyse neuromuscular strength, performance and imbalances in your athletes. With an incredibly simple setup and intuitive software, Forstex automatically detects over 15 common force plate tests and analyses them with a single click, helping you to collect quick and accurate insights on your athletes. To learn more, head over to our sponsor, volperformance.com. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Informed Performance Podcast. My name is Ben Ashworth, and it's a real pleasure to have Wayne Diesel on the show today. Welcome, Wayne. Yeah, it's great to be here, Ben. Thank you. And it's been so many years since we last spoke. Uh, I'm glad to see how well you're doing and keep up the good work. Thanks, mate. Um, just for the benefit of the listeners, uh, can you, and it, by the way, I, we, we spoke about this before, we could probably have episode one, episode two to talk about <laughs> your background, Wayne, but... Uh, but uh, yeah, can you give the listeners a bit of a, a, a sort of journey um, in terms of your background to bring us up to the, the present day? Yeah, I certainly can. It's, it's been a fun journey. And as I've said to other people in the past, uh, there's a famous book by Nelson Mandela called The Long Walk to Freedom. Um, I'm going to write a book, The Long Walk to Retirement. <laughs> it's been a similar journey. Um, and Really, it all started in South Africa where I was born. Um, initially, I wasn't interested in physiotherapy. I wanted to become a dentist. Um, I then had to do military service. I found uh, that then working in the medical corps, uh, looking at what dentists do, I said, there's no ways I'm going to be looking in someone's mouth for the rest of my life. And I decided that wasn't good. So I actually ended up studying computer science um, as, as, a, as a degree at, at the university in Johannesburg at Fitwaterstrand. And after two years, I said, no, I can't be sat at a desk all the time working on the computers and that. So my dad actually introduced me to a physiotherapy friend of his. And I went to have a look and said, oh, I really like what I'm doing. That, that sounds good. I've, I've always had that interest in anatomy and biology and healing and such. So I then signed up and I started my second year of uh, physiotherapy. And um, towards the end of my time, four years degree, I was playing football for the university, then representing my university. Um, and before, literally a week before one of the tournaments, I had a motorbike accident and unfortunately wasn't able to play in that tournament. But um, they did ask me to become the physio, even though I wasn't qualified for the team during that event. I think they just wanted me there to be around the players and things in that day. So I obviously agreed and I absolutely loved it then. So what was a tragedy of having a bike accident, having a fractured thoracic spine, wedge compression fracture, all of those things, maybe never playing sport again, doing everything else, to then suddenly discovering something that I truly love. And and the rest, then I decided and I, I sort of focused on that and I said, look, I'm going to be, I'm going to go into sport. And Again, fortunately, I was at a time in South African history where there was change for the better. Um, apartheid was being dismantled and things and that. There was, um, we were looking at international sport. So there was then suddenly this need to have physios working in sport. And because they hadn't really done it, there weren't that many. So 
and again, very fortunate for me, um, there were it was a male dominated um, sort of requirement then as a male physio in working the rugby and, and hockey field. So they asked me to come there because there was only two of us. So and I think the other person didn't want to do it. So they really they had no choice but to choose me. And I was fortunate in, the, in that capacity. So I was, then started getting interested in, in sports and I started working for women's gymnastics. Um, I then went to men's field hockey. I worked in cricket all in South Africa. Um, I got invited to the All-Africa Games where I worked for Bafana Bafana, the South African men's team, and we lost to Egypt in the final in that year. I went to the Olympics. I went to All-Africa Games. I went to the Commonwealth Games. Um, and then rugby approached me, um, and they asked me if I wanted to work in, in uh, the, with the Springbok rugby team. So obviously, you know, I went into that, and I think that is that has had such a big influence on my life and my career, particularly the fact that I worked in so many diverse sports without really understanding or ever having played some of those sports. I challenged myself and I put myself into those those environments, and I found that I actually enjoyed it. And likewise, uh, you know, because I stayed away from trying to be too specific about the sport and saying, okay, this is what you need to do as a rugby player or as a gymnast or whatever, I focused on what I knew and I focused on the helping and trying to recover them from injury. So the, there wasn't a threat to the coaches or I wasn't trying to influence players or trying to make decisions on who should play and who shouldn't play. And it, it went down really well. So, you know, that I think was a, a big reason for why I, I think chose this diversity side of it and I, I really enjoyed challenging myself in different sporting uh, worlds um, then <clears throat> towards the end of the Springbok thing I'd, as I mentioned I'd done just about every sport in South Africa at that time at the elite level at the national level I got approached by Gloucester Rugby um, in, the, in the UK and I decided here we go again you know now I've done my South African pool of sports that are available i'd love to go and challenge myself in the in the uk where i was unknown at that stage i didn't have any one that could vouch for me really and in south africa you know i was well known because i've done all the major sports but i felt that i needed to go out and push myself and to see what was else was out there i was desperate to learn and i and i've always believed that you've the day you stop learning is the day you stop knowing what's going on this day you stop working so it's been a big driving factor for me is to go out and learn and experience these things. And Gloucester Rugby was, again, a phenomenal um, experience for me where we had a fantastic season in 2001, 2002. And I know there's a, a mutual friend of ours, Nick Allen, that uh, worked with me. And That's you know, right. we had such a great season. We won the Power Gen Cup. Um, we won the league that year, although they decided that year to do the playoff system. And then we lost to to wasps at the end of it. I know you're a wasp man, so I've never That's forgotten right, yeah. that. <laughs> that was the year I started at wasps as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, you should have told me that before the podcast. <laughs> no, no, but that was, in fairness, you guys fully deserved that. We went there. We had a bit of this like already. Oh, we've won it. We we ended the league ten points ahead of everyone else. We don't even need to practice and things and that there. And you guys actually you know, really brought us back down to ground. Um, and congratulations to you guys there, Ben. It was thoroughly deserved. <laughs> so, unfortunately, or fortunately, again, by that the end of that year, um, the owner, Tom Walkinshaw, was having financial difficulties and things in that there. So he'd come to me and said, listen, Wayne, um, we need to cut back. You know, the, we don't have the financial support anymore. I need you to cut back on your department and do things in that. And I, ben, in honesty, you know, there are people there that I valued and that had been fantastic for me, that had been working there for years. And there was no ways that I felt I could, having only been there for a year, start telling people that they needed to leave. So I said, I can't, you know, and I'd rather, I, I need to leave. And fortunately, um, I was then offered a position with Charlton Athletic Football Club. And having played football, it was an easier transition. But again, going into the EPL or the Premier League was very different to what I'd experienced before. That's for sure. So, that then got me the, the Charlton Athletic uh, opportunity, which was fantastic. And again, my role then in back in those days was to try and introduce sports science um, and, and medical thing into, into football. And I, I think I don't, I'm sure I've still got a copy of the newspaper where there's a player, Paolo Di Canio, who everyone knows. 
and I put him in an ice bath in that year, which was a very common practice in all of rugby that we've been doing for years. And the English press thought this was amazing. They'd never seen anything like this before. And Paolo de Caney had never heard of anything. They thought, where's this South African come from that's putting me in an ice bath as a recovery tool? <laughs> and, I, and I was amazed. I was completely taken aback by just where they were at that stage, you know, and uh, how things evolved. So that was one of the fun anecdotes from Charlton Athletic. Um, had many good seasons there. I had seven or so seasons with Charlton Athletic. And then uh, Tottenham Hotspur um, uh, came looking. They had had a, an issue with one of the players that had a heart attack um, as a young player in, in in Europe. And they were looking to change things on their, their medical department. So fortunately, I, you know, they decided that they wanted uh, me to come on board. And, and that's what I did. And I ended up going to Tottenham. And eight years later, you know, I got a, a call just out of the blue one day, really, from someone in the US, um, from the Miami Dolphins, uh, sorry, from San Antonio Spurs first. They were the ones that were interested. They'd, they'd spoken to someone that knew me. They were looking internationally. They were trying to get someone with my background to come and work within um, their their organization. And obviously San Antonio Spurs with the Popovich is uh, the, the best coach that I've certainly ever worked on and, and probably, internet, you know, has been recognized as probably the all-time great uh, coach. Yeah, he went there and it was quite interesting. I'll give you a little side story on that is that um, it was because I was with Tottenham Spurs, I was going to San Antonio Spurs. So that became a bit of a, an irony itself going to there. Then I had the um, interview, everything went really well. And they said, listen, we've got a realtor a realtor that's going to show you around and have a look at various properties and that. So they introduced me to Katie and I got and she showed me around at the end of it said, uh, can I, you know, this is, can I get your card or can I get back to you? And I saw in the card it was uh, Katie Tottenham. And I said, hang on, there's no ways I'm going to Spurs and someone called Tottenham is showing me around in San Antonio ridiculous and anyway we had a good chuckle so i laughed at that and then she took me to the final place that they want to look at and the area that we went to in san antonio was called arsenal so <laughs> i was convinced that this was a setup <laughs> i was being stitched up completely i yeah. thought i was going to be on some like <laughs> document tv laughing and showing how they tricked this physio to come in and and speak to a Katie Tottenham and go and have a, buy a, a house in Arsenal. I said, you don't understand. I can't buy, I can't even live in a place called Arsenal having worked for Tottenham in the past. So anyway, that, uh, that didn't work out then um, because they wanted me to literally work there, join them immediately in two weeks. And I, I couldn't leave Tottenham at that stage. So I, unfortunately, I turned that down. Um, and then literally a week later, I got a call from Miami Dolphins. Um, they they're football director had spoken to like the the gm that had introduced me at san antonio spurs and uh, miami dolphins were playing in wembley in a couple of weeks time and they were also looking for someone in a similar position so that's that's a short story that's how i got involved into miami dolphins in the nfl and again not understanding the sport not knowing it and then four years later the spurs came back and they were really interested and they said wayne we'd love you to come there and you know, I'd always wanted to go there. I was very impressed with that organization. And, I, and up the last three years of my working career, working for San Antonio Spurs. So, and then I finished that in the 20th, uh, June last year, 21st. And now enjoying some semi-retirement in North Wales. Uh, that, that's, that's the journey that I've been on, Ben. Well, that is the end of podcast one. And, uh, <laughs> I try to cut it short. <laughs> no, no, I love I love a couple of things there. Firstly, you um, you gave up a career of pulling teeth to start yeah. a career where you're basically ending up a lot of the times trying to pull teeth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that that rung true with me a little bit. I could see the irony irony behind that. But that's funny. So that brings you up to the present. Yeah, that brings you up to the present day. Um, and as you say, like you know, semi-retirement now, and this 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 long walk to retirement that you're on. Yeah. So what are you what are you currently doing? What's what's 
what's currently on the uh, on the semi-retirement. So I set my mind to retiring. I said, that's it. I'm done. I want to be move on and do whatever. And I thought I might go back into some academics. I've got a PhD. I, I love lecturing. I've, I've, I've loved presenting at talks and that. So I said, yeah, maybe I'll go back into a local university or do something or go and present or do something. And, and that's something that I'm still very interested in. But recently I was approached by a, a, a colleague of mine at San Antonio Spurs. He worked as a massage therapist. He worked at Manchester City as well. So he's got international experience and we work really well together. And, and what he does now is he provides out-of-club time, out-of-organization hours service to athletes as a one-on-one basis. Um, and he was in the U.S. at the moment, and there was a, a, a footballer locally that was interested in, in getting some additional work for him. And I said, look, I'm, I'll be interested in doing it. But, you know, I've, I've been on the other side of that fence where I've worked as the, the head of the medical department, the director of player care, you name it, whatever else is. And I've had to then try and deal with uh, people on the outside coming in, trying to have their say um, that we don't have any control over and saying to the player, well, I think this is what you should be doing. They should be doing this, doing that. Um, and and really, you know, I said, if I was to go into that, then then it would be more of a case that I'd, I'd needed to be very transparent. I'd want to work very, very closely with the medical department so that I can share information. They can share information with me. Um, we can discuss what it is that I'd like to do with them or they'd like to do with them so that we can just provide that extra service so the player doesn't feel that he's getting conflicting advice. And I'm sure in your position as well, you've come across that and it is difficult. But I think the upside of it and certainly my experience is that if it's handled correctly, then it can be a huge, huge plus for you where the player's happy, he's satisfied, he's getting his treatment, you're aware of what he's getting and maybe they do bring something to the party. Maybe they bring something that is unique that you haven't considered and that is of benefit. So again, it's part of that learning for me where you know I'm always desperate to learn. I'm, I'm willing to learn of others and say, okay, well, show me what it is that you're doing. How do you get this player to you know, respond as well as he has done or she? Yeah, it is interesting. We, I spoke recently to uh, Phil Jakobson about just exactly that. And, and, you know, from the inside looking out, it's really important around that communication uh, and, and linking them and connecting them. But, uh, you know, his the flavour of his thought process was around doing everything possible for player care and making them feel uh, looked after and well looked after. And I think it, from my own personal experience, especially the way the game's going and professional sports going, Players are time poor. They don't want to be at the club all day, but they still want to do some work. So yeah. as long as you've got a solid provider who you can trust, they're going to do it anyway. So it's better to try and connect with them and um, and and bring it in house, you know, as as much as possible. You know, I think that's that's very astute, and I think it's it's not having the ego that you think you should be controlling everything. And I think sometimes that is. The mistake that people in our positions have made in the past where they want to try and control everything which means the players as you said they do go behind their back so you don't you're not aware of what's going on when things go wrong or things go right you, you don't know where to give credit to or, or where to change things but i think probably the most overriding um, factor for me in, in going down this route is that having been exposed in three different continents with players from all over the world I've realized that there's no one physio solution that suits everybody. You know, culturally, a lot of them are different. The expectations of what physios can do uh, differs hugely. And for you to go in there with one formula of to fix something, you're going to get it wrong. Because if the player doesn't believe in what you're doing, you're in trouble from the beginning and they're doubting what you're doing. So the fact that we have to accept that there are different ways of doing things and that, and it can it just varies on the individual on how their their body responds on on what their beliefs are we have to accept that and we have to be able to mold ourselves to that and that that is what's influenced uh, a lot of my decisions is that learning that and saying okay well let me go and see what these guys are doing let me learn from them and see if they can teach me something that i can add so the next time we're doing a pre-game warm-up where the guy's got five minutes to go and he said yeah i got the guy always does this and he pushes and he makes me breathe and he does this i know exactly what they're doing so the player trusts it and the minute i do that they feel better and 
I'm not to say that there's science to prove that or disprove it. I'm not, I'm not saying that. It's just the case that he feels comfortable, that he's got what he absolutely believes into. You know, I've worked with, with traditional healers. I've worked with witch doctors, in a sense, in South African sport. And I've seen the power that that does. And it's phenomenal of how powerful that mental side of it can be. And we have to, as physios, accept that you cannot kick it away. Yeah, 100%. Um, the, the openness around it. Um, but the, the engagement as well. I, I remember an afternoon where I, I engaged with a chiropractor who was doing some extra work for some of the players at the Premier League club. And um, I turned up there. I was invited to turn up and I wanted to go and meet the guy to see what he was doing because the player was raving about this treatment that he was getting. And I wanted to see, well, how can I learn? And then in walked a second player and a third player <laughs> And a fourth player, and there were about f- probably five or six players basically paying this chiropractor's plane ticket to come from the US, spend a couple of days, and and do some work. Now, as a manual therapist, he was fantastic. Like I watched his hands, his skills were phenomenal. But what he didn't have was context around the injury, uh, or the injury history, or the current status, or the perhaps the time in the week or the periodization or whatever was going on around it. And, and he wasn't asking those questions. I was giving him that information to help yeah. him actually. And yeah. Yeah. it changed what he did. It changed what he did. So the worry is if you don't have that communication and you're an external practitioner and you're not asking those questions, you're missing out on things that actually could be dangerous and, and, and contradictory to something that's going to help them perform at the end of the day, you know, just, for the sake of an Instagram video or a bit of marketing, you know? Absolutely, Ben. And, and the fact that as a consultant, without the backing and the consent from the player, you don't always know that what's actually going on there. You're relying on the player's feedback. Oh, I had a scan. This is what's wrong. This is what's my knee, my back, my shoulder, my, my hip. Whatever else is, you don't fully know all of that that's going on. So unless you do, it's very difficult. And not to say, you know, I'm – away sort of from the direct treatment side of it, but a lot of it is recovery work is what I, I really like doing with them is that extra massaging, stretching techniques, releases, and things that I, I can do rather than the treatments per se, where I think if they have an injury, then they should be looked after by their medical staff and they can do that. This is an, an, a, an added support structure, but still understanding what the pathology is behind the issues that they're having is very helpful. And if you don't have that, that communication with the medical staff of that team, there's no ways you're going to know that. So I would be uncomfortable seeing someone without knowing any of that information. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So some, some good lessons for people who are asked into that situation. And, you know, um, it's, always good to, it's always good to ask and be open, I think. And it, it's some really good lessons for people out there who, who are listening to this podcast. Um, Wayne, you, you've... You've been across three continents, uh, and you've spanned uh, you've spanned some time now uh, as a physiotherapist or some of your other roles working across different sports. I'm very interested to see, given that vast experience, where what your opinion of physiotherapy is at the moment, and kind of where it is with relationship to sports physiotherapy. Uh, what's your What's your take on where we're at at the moment? Okay, I think I think where we are, I'll, I'll take you back to where we came from to understand that. So, uh, again, yeah. I, I began, what, 30 years ago now when sports physiotherapy was just becoming a thing where it was necessary to have a, a physiotherapist involved. And, again, maybe that was fortunate for me because, again, in the organizations that I worked in, we didn't have the sports scientists. We didn't have strength and conditioning. We didn't have nutritionists. We didn't have psychologists. We didn't have chiropractors, osteopaths, Pilates instructors. We didn't have this amazing team that is now around it. So I had to fill in the role of many of those roles. And I think that's, again, where I would look at things and say, okay, well, that's what I need to do better. I need to understand those things. And I think that has allowed me to help uh, coordinate activities within those professions because I had to do all of those things on my own and I understand the value of them rather than just thinking physiotherapy. So physiotherapy has expanded way beyond 
um, just the fact that you're treating the injuries and that. You need to understand exercise physiology. You need to understand nutrition. Not that you need to be an expert in it, but the fact that you understand its role and how it can play and that there are people out there that can give, you know, um, much better opinions and how valuable it can be. That is what it is. And that's what, as you know, working with an interdisciplinary team, you need to facilitate their actions. It's not that I need to tell them how to do their job or try and be better than what they are. I need to find people that are way better at acupuncture or Pilates or uh, nutrition or uh, sports science than what I ever was or ever will be and get them to work together instead of the silo situations that was so prevalent among sports. So I think physiotherapy has that unifying approach, and I think that's why people in our role have often become head of departments into that side, because you can see the strength side of it. You can get a feeling of it. You can get the medical side. Many teams that don't always have doctors, but then doctors are just, you know, they are, again, can be quite channeled into their, their professions and their specialities. We're the ones that have to go between everything else and make sure that everything is connected because without that connection you don't get as an efficient as a, as a, a performance department or player care system as what you should be getting so i certainly see that as physiotherapy yeah i, I definitely yeah i definitely agree um, you know the other the other aspects to that is that it certainly evolved in terms of the techniques that are available to us um, a lot more um, hands-on on tissue work. <clears throat> I was never, in fairness, a, a huge um, electrotherapy-driven sports. All of my clients, my patients, my players, has preferred the hands-on approach um, and with that. But again, you know, there is a role. I've, I've recently worked with shockwave therapy, which I found fantastic results. Um, I've done a lot of that and trying to <clears throat> introduce some of those techniques. But, you know, it's, I'm one of those that has to be convinced of that first. It's not that I'll automatically go to a lot of these machines ahead of the, the manual work. The players want to be touched. I've always preferred that. And it's, and it's stood me well. But there's a lot of other players that have a, a history of a background of having treatment with electrotherapy and that's what works for them. So you can't shut it out. You have to be able to embrace it. You have to be able to bring it on board and let that player work with it if that's what they feel is going to help them. Yep. I think so. It's, it's, it's a sort of vast, it's a vast landscape that you, you come into as a, as a physio going into the world of sport right now. Um, and it's interesting the way you came at it there around, actually having to to take on those roles as other as other practitioners almost nutrition support understanding a little bit about these these things and i suppose now like people are looking for differentiators so if someone if i was employing someone coming as a physiotherapist into a team i think you look for people who've got that breadth of experience or something that differentiates them and i and and i wonder what your thoughts are if you were giving your your young self some advice mm -hmm. right now and you're about to embark upon a career in sports physiotherapy what would you say to your young self to give you the best chance of having the biggest impact in 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 that world there are a couple of things that i reflect on in my career and think that that things went particularly well not because i planned them but that's just what it was firstly was Working as a gym instructor, understanding exercise, understanding load, just, just physically being in there and putting someone through a weight training program. So I could see what I enjoyed working in the gym. I did it, but I wanted to learn more. I, I did the PhD in exercise physiology. So that taught me a little bit about the physiology processes about what's going on. So I think any sport is going to involve varying degrees of exercise physiology. Um, and having a background in that, understanding that you can talk to coaches, you can talk the language, you can talk to strength and conditioning coaches, you can talk to sports scientists about monitoring, about these things. So those things become increasingly valuable. You've got to talk, learn the language of what it is in sport. You can't just become, un unless you're just going to become the physio and that's all you ever want to be. But if you want to grow and ultimately develop and head up the departments, you need to appreciate and you need to understand what is going on with some of those things. And the other valuable thing that happened to me is what I alluded to earlier, is that the, the experiences across many different sports. Again, people sometimes that have only worked in one sport have a fantastic way of, of doing one thing. It's like a shoulder surgeon. They're fantastic at the shoulder, but you take anything outside of that and they, they're less 
efficient at what it is. So you've got to learn about all the other things and all the other things that go with it and all the preferences and, and how they've done it traditionally in gymnastics and how they've traditionally done these things in field hockey, NFL, basketball, whatever. And then again, the cultures, people coming from Africa, from Asia, from Europe, from America, what are their needs? What are they, or how do they view physical therapy, physiotherapy, athletic training? What are their, what is their expectation from that thing? So diversifying early on, going, putting yourself in those situations, going to learn from different sports. Don't go to what you're comfortable in. Go and learn from sports. And also, I didn't apply to the biggest jobs right in the beginning. I worked sometimes in school sports and things and that just to give myself an experience where I often try to advise the younger players that are applying. They've just started freshly out of university and they want to come and work for Tottenham or San Antonio Spurs or Miami Dolphins. I say, go go to the school level. Learn that because you can't make those mistakes that I made that I'm sure you've made, Ben, at an elite level. And and what do you do is you go and yep. sometimes these interns, they go and work as, a, as an intern in some elite team. Then they can never go down. They can't see that they can go from working with the Miami Dolphins to some high school team. It just because they're so used to what it is. I, I was fortunate to build it up over, you know, lesser sports that were professional. They weren't even professional. They were elite. But, you know, they, these players never got paid. The gymnasts didn't get paid. The the Olympic sports, basically, they they were just there. They were pure sportsmen. And, you know, I didn't get paid to do that. I, I, I did it because I, I loved the sport. But it taught me so many things that were valuable. And as a young me, you know, I'd, I'd encourage myself to do that, to learn a little bit more, to become maybe more open to some of the diagnostic things that are now available, like ultrasounds and things, you know, which I've done later on in life. But certainly understanding that. But it, it's difficult. I mean, you know, you've got to get your hands technique working right you've got to get that and and understand the culture that you're going into the environment and become you know get your emotional intelligence in the right position uh, to do that the the learning physio that uh, dave clancy's been doing and i've been a, a present on as well has been fantastic you know that has really summarized a lot of what i've always known but never really been able to put together in in a, in a one sentence and say this is what we should be doing but everything makes sense you know, how do you talk to your head coach? How do you talk to the player? You can be the best physio in the world or the best surgeon in the world, but if you don't communicate effectively and you don't understand things, things can go wrong. So, you know, those are just some of the, I think, the things that advice, the pieces of advice that I'd give. I think you can call that wisdom, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Learning the hard way. Um. <laughs> uh, it really resonates with me, actually. I, I think... I'm glad I didn't I didn't read your 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 book uh about this but I think I've gone about it the right way too. I I was actually in Charlton um but down the road at Blackheath Rugby Club which was one of my favorite uh, oh, well. favorite experiences ever where it was just patient mileage and making rapid decisions on a Tuesday night for training for a Saturday game with semi-professional guys who are basically having to do the day job and then come down and do do that in the evening. And then during the day I was working for the English Institute of Sport. Yeah. And I, I used to love both of those jobs um, and the English Institute of Sport, because it gave me multi-sport experience. Um, I started in rugby, so that was my game. And therefore I made a lot of assumptions about rugby. So I was very blinkered. Yep. And then I ended up going into a sport like judo where I didn't know anything about it similar right. to the stuff you've been, been yeah. saying and you have you have to ask questions yeah. you have to try and understand it and that in itself is like one of the key things i would advise people to do is as you say expose yourself to different things but also get in there and ask questions like don't be don't be worried about showing you don't know something be humble ask questions you'll understand it better and then you'll be able to have a bigger impact in that in those environments so yeah absolutely brilliant advice and wisdom we'll call it wisdom way <laughs> yeah, spot on. Uh, and I love the fact that you did that, Ben. And, you know, that resonates with me very strongly where I think the young physios are seeing people like ourselves and, and they want to be there, but they want to be there now. And it's it's hard for them to go and say, look, let me start low. Let me get things. Let me build up my reputation. Let me, let me help out and see is this really what I want to do? How can I learn? Because, you know, 
fortunately or unfortunately, they are going to be learning curves. There's going to be experiences. You're going to do the wrong thing. You know, I've done, I've made multiple mistakes in my career, but fortunately they've been, you know, down the line where I've been able to, you know, they haven't been anything serious, but still it's, it's given me valuable lessons saying, you know, I need not to do this. I, I need to be aware of this. This is what I need to do. And just being around different people. Um, and as a South African where I was isolated through apartheid, I wanted to go and experience things. I wanted to expose myself to other cultures and I've just loved it. You know? So just from a personal level as well, it's been, it's been amazing. Wayne, well, I, I think, you know, I, I actually came and visited you, as you know, um, we, I, I'd sort of knew you back in the day and then, and I reached out to you because I was on a midlife retirement. Um, between my last job and this current job and uh, doing a bit of lifestyle design we'll call it um, Tim Ferriss style and I reached out to you and said look I'm going to be in Miami and I came and spent a day with you at the Dolphins and uh, one thing that was really interesting was I was talking to some of your staff at the time and we were talking about medical management of some injuries that we shared like a syndesmosis sprain or like some other things and the sort of time frames the time frames that we expected to get them back in premier league versus the nfl and it was it was an eye-opener to me so my question to you is like what did you take from that nfl experience what was the biggest thing on from a medical perspective you, that you took from working in the nfl yeah, I think a lot of that is, is governed just by the forces that, that act within the sport. Now, in the NFL, at that stage, you're playing 16 games in a season. Right? So any player that's out for four or five weeks misses almost half of their season. So that is just not good enough for, for organizations. They can't afford to have people missing that amount of time out for seasons when they're just trying to get better and they're not 100% right. So that definitely is a, is a huge driver, the fact that some of their contracts can be also quite limited and they could basically be gone in two weeks. They could be out and said, okay, that's the end of it. So that not all of the players have these massive contracts that last for years where they've got the protection and they can be looked after. So in order, if you want to play and if you want to make it in, in um, the NFL, and remembering some of the background is that there, there aren't other leagues. There's a Canadian league, but there's no other real league of, of uh, American football around the world. So it's like if you're playing football, soccer, you can then go and just about any country in the world and, and, and play for a team. There are multiple divisions within that thing. So the NFL doesn't have divisions. They don't have that. So you either play for one of the 32 teams or you don't play and then you're out and that could be the end of your career. So if you have an injury, you've got to look at it and, and these guys, what they're prepared to put through is, is extraordinary for me. And, and it certainly opened my eyes to a lot of what can be done. And I, you know, the, the worry side of it is that they could be doing damage, but they are prepared to risk that in order so that they can still be available on the weekend. Now, it is it is tough on these kids, and they are exceptionally tough, but they also then they're prepared to work through it, and they have. And I've seen some amazing recoveries just because they are determined and they are focused and they give everything they can to getting that. So from a medical side of it, it showed me what can be done when someone is that driven and, and there's factors and that's just the culture within that sport is that maybe they attract these people that are super tough and things and that, that, that are resilient and that are prepared to put through things. But again, it all goes to the thing of how much they believe in themselves, how much they believe in the treatment that they're getting, how much, you know, from that side of it, they can convince themselves and the mind is all powerful and just how much you can do, you know, obviously, it was more my job within the NFL is to prevent them from doing too much damage rather than trying to kick them and get them out there. It was, you know, I was holding back rather than pushing it forward as you do in some of the other sports where the guys may have the comfort of, of long-term contracts. I say, oh, well, I think I'm going to give it six weeks until I'm 100% right, and then I'll get back with that. They didn't have that luxury of doing that just from the league being so short, and then they don't get make playoffs and they don't make the team. So that, that was a driving factor. And, you know, these guys are, they want immediate, you know, you have to get an immediate diagnosis. You've got to make things, you can't delay things because they just don't have that time then. Um, it's, you know, we had fantastic medical support doctors there all the time, scanning facilities open 24-7, whatever it is, because they needed answers and they needed them really, really quickly. Um, other, other more 
numerous anecdotes from my days and my, I think my first game there I, 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 with the Dolphins when I went to, to, to meet up with them is that I saw about six players lying on the table getting an IV. And because of what I said, what is going on here? You can't be giving players IV. This is insane. Oh, no, 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 that's all right. In the American the doping situation, you're quite entitled to give them. They don't give them fluid replacements and things like that. So it was, it was pretty amazing. It was just some of the things that you do see and you witness um, along with that. But um, remarkable individuals, very determined and, you know, really took, you know, showed me just what is capable. So, you know, when players come and ask me, my advice is, do you think I, I need to retire now? I can, I'll speak to them. I'll be honest. I'll say, what is it that drives you? Do you need to? Do you need to go on? What are how, how determined are you to, to continue with that? And I'm sure in your experience, you've seen players with horrendous lesions or defects and things that can play, where others that have far lesser lesions just don't fancy it. They just won't prepare to put themselves through it. So you can't judge just by an MRI scan of whether someone can play or not. You know, you have to have the discussion with them, try and give them the right advice, but try not to be too negative in a sense and avoid the things, oh, you're going to, you know, uh, is it painful trying to put things in their mind? You just have to be quite open with them and see where they are and get the, the best advice that you can for them. Yeah, I I get that. I think the the constraints the constraints of the environment direct the the behavior around how you manage those injuries definitely um you know looking to cut corners i understand it i think i go full circle on this all the time is like you know can we speed things up can we speed up healing or not really we're sort of not really speeding up healing so much as um, making sure we don't have any negative consequences of pushing harder um that's that's really the key thing you know and managing someone in any environment where the stakes are that high, of course you're trying to do your best to get them back on the pitch as soon as possible. It's great when you've got players pushing. It's harder probably when you've got senior management teams pushing from above. You know? yes. um, but balancing that out, balancing that out, and and um, you know sometimes you're ending up shaving a lot. What forty eight hours off someone's injury return to performance and that might be the difference between them making a playoff game or, you know, like having an impact as part of a game in a, in a significant moment in a season. And I think, you know, we've, we can't always sit on the side of caution. We have to be able to be flexible enough to understand the demands of the, 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 the situation and environment we're in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see that the um, analogy is that we are a risk assessors. So we look at risk. And it's a case of you, what are you going to wait for the person to be 100% right before you put them back into sport? That can't be the way. But again, it's a balancing thing. The player needs to understand. The coaches need to understand. And then we go to them and say, listen, the risk of this player playing, he may have a 30% chance, a 20% chance, a 50% chance. Do you understand it? Do you accept that risk? And then we are risk assessors, and that's what we can advise on. Instead of just saying no, 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 there's a certain percentage of it. Because also with the right coaches and the right environments, you can say if he doesn't, if he avoids these um, situations, if you play him for this amount of time, that's when I think he'll cope with that. And that's one of the lessons that I learned through basketball is just how closely they monitor that and say when these guys are coming back, okay, we're going to give him 15 minutes, we're going to give him 20 minutes, we're going to give that, and that's when he needs to come off. And that's what it is. So rather than an all or nothing, look at how you can phase them back into their sport, doing things with limited. And that obviously in a, in a football situation, uh, there's the substitutes, there's things that you have to look at. So you've got to work with that and you've got to explain to the coaches what the, the inherent risks are if they're going on that. But ultimately, once they've made that decision, then then it's on them. And we can't hold ourselves accountable, but we can, we're only accountable if you haven't explained that risk and you haven't gone through it in a, in a detailed sense. And also, if they don't trust you and you say, well, you are way too cautious. You know, you're telling us not to play a player because all they need to do is play one player that you've told them will get injured and he doesn't get injured because he had a 50%, which means he had a 50% chance of not getting injured. But because you've, you've told them not to play, then they don't listen to you for the rest of it. Your risk assessment is gone. 
So it's just, again, putting that in and then also trying to make sure that saying, let's test them before. Don't just throw them into it. Let, let them do some practice before. Let them do these things and let's see how that goes. I'd rather them break down in practice than I would in a game. But you need to just monitor that and see how they can do and say to the coaches, okay, are you satisfied that is he running quick enough? Can he execute the skills that you want him the way you'd like him to do that? Is he protecting himself? Is he whatever else? And then the coaches make that decision. But it's that, again, it's, it's leaving that final decision to a group, the strength coaches, the sports scientists, the, the head coach, obviously, the fitness coaches, whoever, assistant coaches, that are in, and the player, and say, are you okay with that? We are going to restrict this. This is what we recommend. So I think the valuable lesson that I've learned is rather than myself making the sole decision, I let the group make the decision based on their expertise. I've said, okay, the injury's taken them this far. They've proved to me that they can run, they can jump. Because as I said earlier, the MRI scan, the ultrasound scan, doesn't show everything. You know, we can't be misled by a lot of these things because some people can and some people can't play that. Yeah, I think just to sort of recap there, the things that I really like around that is the sort of, firstly, the word trust that you use. I think it's once you've built up a rapport with a team over a period of time, you've made some of those right calls and you've you've explained yourself that is really important for the next time you have to sit in that situation and go through that same conversation about another player going forward the other thing you said which i really like as well is the it, it make sure you've explained the risk right so often we sort of don't we shy away a little bit from explaining the risk i think if you if you truly explain the risk to people and they understand it and they get it, then they're armed to make that decision themselves about, you know, what to do or not to do. And then you're all on the same page and sport is a, is a game of managing risks. And sometimes we'll be, we'll push and sometimes we'll hold back a little bit depending on certain other factors. Cause when it comes to it and they're in a game and the score's tied and it's, you know, 15 minutes longer than they were supposed to play. No coach is going to pull off one of their best players <laughs> just because you'd said he might break down. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to happen. No, we're not, but, we're not going to end up influencing that. No, but and if they do, everyone's accepted that risk and they know. And they said, okay, we did it for these reasons. Let's get him better. Let's not blame each other and throw the toys out and do whatever else. And you told me he'd be fine and he's not fine. And, and, you know, that's been my experience. And once I'm, I can be transparent and open with the head coaches with that, so that's what it is. And particularly the player, because he's the one that you're dealing with. She, whoever, they've got to be able to trust and, and understand it. And then those are one of the first questions that I'll ask players now. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about what's going on. What do you understand about your foot, your hip? your back. What is it that's bothering you? What's happened? And if they don't understand, I'll spend more of my initial cons uh, consultation explaining to them what the issues are. And I say, how does this impact you? What can it do? Or how does it... So that I, I get a feeling or a sense of how important that is to them. If they dismiss it and they're not interested, I'm always wary of those type of players where I'd much rather work with someone that's not you know, over-focused on it, but understands and says, look, this is what it is. This is what I need to do. This is how it works. I understand my body. I listen to it and I know because then we can work together. And I've always found that the case. So a, a big part of what I try and do is, is explain to players, to staff in there, in the way, in a language that they understand what is going on rather than in a medical thing and trying to impress people by using terms that they don't fully understand. And the number of players that have been to see a specialist and come back and haven't a clue of what the specialist told them or, or used words that they don't understand, it's alarming. So that's where our role can come in and that where you can say to them, okay, this is what he's saying to you. This is what we're doing. This is what they need to do. You don't need to be scared of it. That's absolutely fine. Or to the opposite, you know, that we need to do something. Yeah, making sure the player's clear allows them to then push on with the, with the pathway if it's return to play or, you know, go through a game with the understanding of what actually is going on. Why have they got some pain? Is it an acceptable level of discomfort, pain, whatever we're, we're dealing with, whether it's tendon, whether it's muscle, what to do, when to push and pull. Exactly. All of that comes from providing that clarity and truly understanding what they know about their injury. hundred percent, Wayne, hundred percent. Yeah. Well said. That, that, that's Wayne, we're in a, 
era where people are talking about generalists and specialists. And uh, do you think there's some risk that we lose some of that identity as a physiotherapy profession if we start to try and almost extend our scope a little bit too broadly? Yeah, but it's 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 a, it's um, really just um, the physio thing. And I think is that again is that we've got to be careful not to become um, a jack of all trades and a master of none. We have to respect that there are other professionals like nutrition, strength and conditioning. I think we need to have an understanding of it. We're not always going to be the top acupuncturist in the world. We can't all be chiropractors. We can't all be osteopaths. We can't be all of these things. It's important to to develop some of these skills and find out what it is the area that you you're comfortable with it. Is it diagnostic ultrasound? Is it is it using some of those tools and that? Because there are so many um, things that you can specialize in, and if you chase all of them, you'll become you know efficient at, at very little in a lot of those things. So at some stage, you've got to accept that there are others and respect that there are other areas of expertise but also start focusing on those things and say, right, I want to really get my manual techniques right. I want to feel, I want to know that if I can become an active release therapist, this is the best that I can do. If I want to become more manipulative therapist, this is what I'm going to be doing. This is how I'm going to. So develop those skills and and make sure that you can offer a very high level of a certain skill, but then also embrace a lot of the other techniques, whether it's cupping, massage, acupuncture electrotherapy there are so many different techniques available to us that you have to have some understanding but but you cannot and we cannot no there's no single person that an expert in all of them there's just so much to know wayne thanks so much for your time mate um it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you i could talk to you all day actually so it's uh, it's been really great to have you on and to benefit from your your vast experience and we'll call it wisdom uh, and uh, I wish you success in your in your semi-retirement on this long walk to retirement that you're on. Um, <laughs> thanks so much for coming on the show today. Ben, it's, it's been a, a privilege, and it's, and it's really been great catching up with you, and, it's, and I just love sharing some of the insights into what's made my uh, career so f- phenomenal for me, really. Um, remembering family and everything that goes with it, you know, those are the things create a balance, keep a balance in your life. Um, but ultimately, let, let's keep doing physiotherapy, the profession, the justice that it deserves. It's a wonderful profession and we need to keep striving and need to pushing it forward. Thanks a lot, mate. Brilliant. Brilliant.